There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We promised you on this episode we'd bring you an interview with the New York Times chief diplomatic correspondent Stephen Erlanger, who's based in Brussels, talking about the war in Ukraine. Interestingly enough, some big developments today. There was a drone attack on the Kremlin that the Kremlin is blaming on Ukraine. Ukraine says, no, 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 this was not us. We'll talk about that and the impact of the attacks that Russia's launching on Ukraine. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. We've got two stories for you today. Both of them are related to Ukraine. The first of which is something of a stunner that took place today, the 3rd of May, 2023. The Kremlin announced today that the building had been attacked by drones and they claimed that Ukraine was behind it. We'll talk to Yuri Sack from the Ministry of Defense about that. And then we'll talk with Ukraine's education minister about the real attacks that are taking place in Ukraine. First, our conversation with Yuri Sack. Yuri, today, um, the 3rd of May, 2023, there was a drone that appeared to attack the Kremlin and uh, immediately the Kremlin said that uh, Ukraine was behind this this attack. Um, what's Ukraine's response, the military's response to this? JJ, as you probably by now have seen that every time Russians do some kind of provocation, what they tend to do is they accuse immediately without hesitation uh, Ukraine uh, in committing these uh, activities. Now, in fact, um, as our president said, as our spokesperson for the office of the president said, as pretty much most of our officials have said today, uh, Ukraine is not behind this attack. And the fact that it happens just a few days before the uh, Victory Day, which is ordinarily celebrated in Russia uh, on May 9th. Uh, So, you know, they are trying to um, ramp up some public support for their aggressive, unprovoked war because they have nothing to show to their own people for the second year running, okay? They were hoping that they would have like a 
uh, victory parade in Kyiv last year because they thought that Ukrainians will not put up a fight. They thought that we will be intimidated and they thought that they will run their tanks on our central street of Kyiv. Now, that didn't happen. Moreover, during the last 12 months, not much has happened. Uh, we have kicked them out from a number of areas in Ukraine, but they have not achieved much progress. So, of course, uh, they are desperate to find some kind of proof uh, for their own people that there is some sense in what they're doing in Ukraine, but there isn't any sense. It's a senseless, unprovoked aggression, and they will be punished for it. How is how is Ukraine responding to this? Because I know shortly after the news became <clears throat> public about this, um, there was an air raid alert that I think was um, in place for Kiev and maybe larger portions of the country, uh, suggesting that uh, some Russian strategic bomber had taken off or something of that nature. So how is Ukraine responding to the aftermath of this? JJ, uh, we are dealing with this terrorist state on a daily basis. Only in the last 10 days, there have been three massive missile strikes on Ukraine. During those strikes, you know, children were killed again in the city of Uman, as I'm sure you heard uh, on the news, uh, small children. And, you know, while we still didn't have time to give them a proper burial to these little Ukrainians who were peacefully asleep at their homes and they were killed. We had one missile attack after another. And actually today, while everybody is talking about these strange, very theatrically looking drones over Kremlin, the Russians have attacked the city of Kherson again, killing 21 person and injuring over 40 people. Now, this is terrorism. This is what they have to be held accountable for. And, you know, these bombers, the um, rumors that some bombers took off, I mean, look, we have our air defenses. They're not perfect, but we are capable to uh, protect ourselves uh, with certain degree of success. So we hope that we will just continue protecting our cities and at the same time preparing for our counteroffensive. And speaking of the counteroffensive, some of your officials have said in the last few days that they believe that uh, Ukraine is just about ready for whatever's going to happen. Now, we don't expect under any circumstances there's going to be some kind of announcement from the Ukrainian military or the government that we are starting our counteroffensive now. But um, give us a sense of the preparations that are being put in place for this. Without uh, being able to share any details, of course, I can just only say that the preparations are taking place along the front lines in different parts of uh, you know eastern Ukraine and southern Ukraine, because, you know, counteroffensive, or we should probably call it offensive, because Russians didn't have any offensive. They were trying to gain control of the city of Bakhmut for six months or more, almost seven months by now, and they've not achieved any success. So our offensive, our campaign to continue to liberate our land, uh, it's not just something that happens in a, during a very short period of time in some particular location, right? It's it's a, a re- series of different scale military operations, beginning from reconnaissance to, you know, making sure that we can break through the enemy's defense lines, making sure that we know all the weaknesses of the enemy. So all that has been happening for a while now. Uh, and we, you know, we, we like our Minister of Defense, Alexei Reznikov said, we're almost ready. We're almost ready. The spring is coming. The weapons, the ammunition... The elements that you need to get from the West, um, they've been coming in and you've been putting them to use. There's 
you've been training uh, and preparing for whatever is next. Um, how would you assess uh, Ukraine's uh, needs in terms of what it's been getting from the West and what it what it what it still needs? Well, we are indeed receiving military support from our allies, and um, actually, we've just had an announcement of a new package from the United States of America, for which we are grateful to the American government, to the American people, because we understand that in the United States of America there is a bipartisan, overwhelming, unwavering support of Ukraine. This means uh, a lot to us. Uh, now, as for, you know, this is the most intense warfare since World War II. And, uh, of course, you know, in this intensity, no amount of ammunition, no amount of artillery or no amount of tanks can be, uh, if you ask the soldiers uh, or, or their commanders, it's never enough. Uh, but anyhow, we, we, we have sufficient weapon systems now and sufficient ammunition uh, uh, that will allow us to, you know, implement our military objectives. Now, what is still missing, of course, are the long-range missiles, and we keep talking about them to our uh, partners, and, of course, fighter jets. I mean, this is the talk of the uh, day, and, you know, we talk about fighter jets, F-16s everywhere, and, you know, there are over 4,000 F-16s around the world, and we are just, at this stage, requesting, you know, a little more than 40, so we just need 1%, because F-16s are the most versatile and universal platform, fixed-wing platform, which will... First of all, improve our air defense capabilities, make it complete. And second of all, we'll, of course, ensure that, you know, our military operations on the ground, our ground forces get sufficient air cover to be successful on the battlefield and to incur as minimum losses as possible. And Yuri, speaking of losses, um, earlier this week, the U.S. National Security Council uh, Strategic Communications Coordinator, John Kirby, uh, spoke to us reporters, and he mentioned the U.S. Had, U.S. had declassified some intelligence indicating that since December, Russia has lost 100,000 people, and 20,000 of them, he said, were um, people killed in action. And he said that was uh, largely represented by the Wagner Group. Um, and But he declined to talk about what Ukraine's losses would be out of respect for Ukraine. How can you characterize against, or can you characterize against those losses for Russia, what Ukraine has lost or who Ukraine has lost? I would like to say, JJ, that for us, the loss of even one soldier is a tragedy because unlike this Wagner group who are you know, convicted uh, murderers and rapists who have been mobilized and recruited from prisons, on our side, uh, we have you know, IT guys, doctors, ballet, ballet dancers. Uh, we have like really good Ukrainian people fighting this war and every loss of every one of them is very, very uh, tragic for us. At the same time, of course, it is a war and we incur losses, but our losses are way, way below those uh, that Russians take because we don't treat our soldiers as cannon fodder. We don't actually throw them into the met, uh, meat grinder, right? So they are considerably smaller than those of the enemy. Our second interview today is with Dr. Yevhen Kudryavets. He's the Deputy Minister of Education and Science for Ukraine for European Integration. And he talked with us last week, uh, and he gave us a good sense of how these Russian attacks on Ukraine are harming the education and cultural systems in Ukraine and he talked about the children as well. 
the toll it's taking on them. So here's a very interesting interview that puts in, in context what's happening in Ukraine as opposed to what Russia claims is happening in Russia. Minister, thank you for taking time to talk with us. First, one of the things that's happened a lot in this war is Russia's attacked schools. They've attacked institutions of higher learning, education. They, they've attacked laboratories and things like that. How is that impacting Ukraine? Yeah, it's a it's a huge disaster that uh, Russia is a terrorist country attacking uh, simple and very critical infrastructures, schools and uh, universities and uh, preschool, even preschool. And uh, of course, it's a highly impacted our country and a highly impacted education system. What we can see is that people are uh, suffering uh, from the not being able to go for schools, not being able to get education. And actually, we are under the, um, we are under the problem that uh, there is a simple right of education is under, uh, under mm-hmm. attack. Uh, students can't go to the school. Students should be displaced to another uh, region of Ukraine when they can go and if there is more, more people in one class if they are going to the school. There are a lot of students uh, which uh, were displaced to in other countries, in the European Union, even in the U.S., and they should be adapted in the new educational system. They should continue to work with the education in Ukraine, like to learn Ukrainian language, Ukrainian literature. They are overwhelming because of this. And, of course, there is a huge question of mental health and mental support of the kids and mm-hmm. because they don't have their own homes, they don't have their uh, own place uh, to study, and uh, they should learn online. You know, like what is a very important part to say is that uh, all of us remember COVID time, and it was uh, two years of COVID, and it was a lot of schools which operated in in the COVID remotely, and then it was transited to the war time, mm-hmm. and some of the uh, early graders, like first or second grade, they started education during the COVID, they continued education during the war. And they have not been to the school for many, many months. Wow. And um, how it impacts our country, it will be a huge traumatic experience for for the nation. Mm. And education will suffer uh, to help to find a source to restore. So how how can this be fixed? What what is necessary? I mean, obviously, the war has to be stopped. The fighting has to be stopped before you can address this. But um, give us a sense of um, how this loss of the ability to study and these valuable institutions and, of course, all the culture, the cultural locations that have been lost, how does that impact the country? Uh, You know, uh, we have a lot of learning classes, and learning classes will uh, influence uh, the, the future of, professions, the future of skills which people will have, and we need to work right now on this. We mm-hmm. need to create a programs to fill these learning classes, to fill these gaps. We need to help people to with mental support and mental health and psychosocial support to get them back to the schools, to back to the social life. We need to understand uh, that uh, industries will be uh, impacted, uh, social life will be impacted. And general society will be impacted just because people will not have so many uh, time to uh, regain this knowledge is what they lost because of education uh, um, warnings. 
What is it that you need from the the West, from the U.S., from other countries? How can they help? I think it's highly important to understand that education is the second frontier. And when uh, we are deoccupying territories, militaries comes first, and for this we need weapon. But after educators will come. And we need to support educators, to train educators. We need to uh, find an instruments how we can uh, give them uh, this support, like in online, uh, offline. But we need to give them instruments which they didn't have before. And probably in no other country, uh, they don't have this experience. But we need to go to the regions, uh, to the students and to the schools after the occupation. And we need to work with these communities. We need to train people to be ready uh, and educators and teachers to be ready to to come back. And as as for me, it's highly important to understand that education is a uh, battle for freedom and battle for values, first of all. Because if we are working with uh, with students and we are working with the future, we need to deliver uh, values. And this is what about education. And just to understand, education is a priority as well. Yeah. Could you talk to me for a moment about the children? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... I don't even know how you may, I don't know how you managed to do this, but this is a really hard thing to see and to hear. You know, I heard uh, just today that a three-year-old was among those that were were killed in Uman today. And we've seen situations where months old children have been killed. How do you handle that? Uh, It's not possible to handle. It's, uh, Every time when we've uh, seen this, every time when we've heard this, uh, it's a catastrophe. It's a personal disaster for every uh, Ukrainians, and I think for a lot of our allies and partners and friends all around the world. Uh, this night was a huge disaster, and when you are reading that this, like that life was uh, taken from the children. You understand that it's not possible to handle. Yeah. Like it's not possible for teacher to handle, to people to handle, to their parents. Um, this is an issue with with this trauma. We will live uh, for years. Yeah. And but we need to remember that uh, this is a huge price for our existence. This is a huge price for our freedom, and we need to move uh, forward and work with this. We need to help the society to build resilience, to build sustainable models, to build uh, our country for the future, and education is a priority in this. Yourself, your schedule, what you do. A number of your colleagues are going from country to country, Mm -hmm. talking with allies and people that are helping. What is your agenda? Uh, Our agenda is emergency response to education and science, to help with uh, uh, building shelters, with uh, refurbishment shelters, to giving devices to kids if they don't have it. Uh, to work with learning losses and gaps. And uh, the second part is uh, restoration and uh, of schools. We have 400 schools fully damaged, and we have more than 4,000 educational institutions um, partly damaged, and we need to restore them, we need to renovate them. And the second part in education is, of course, about uh, development. We need to continue reforms, we need to support changes in education, we need to give them uh new uh capacity we need to give them new facilities and we need to change the system because this system now should be changed 
because of war, because of COVID, because of these old challenges, what I have described before. And uh, we need to be a resilient nation based on education. Okay. Last thing. What haven't I asked you about that you think is important that we need to know? You didn't ask? Yeah, is there something, is there something you <laughs> want to add that I didn't mention? Yeah, I, I want to, uh, like, before I, I will say what you mentioned, uh, you didn't mention, I want to say is that uh, you should know that we are really uh, appreciate the support of the world. And uh, what I wanted to add, and you didn't ask uh, this, how valuable is this support for us? And when we are uh, hearing that uh, some country in the U.S., especially the U.S., supported us in this way or in this way, uh, it means a lot for every uh, every man and woman in Ukraine who are struggling right now because of some uh, personal issues or country's issues. We understand that we are not alone. We are fighting for this freedom together. And uh, I think that sometimes even even word, even like mental support, even like friends' support is so valuable uh, for our common battle and our mutual uh, mutual battle for the future. And I think that uh, it's highly important to add that we are part of this. And thank you for your support and thank you for everything what you are doing. Dr. Yevon Kadriavitz, he's Deputy Minister of Education and Science for Ukraine for European Integration. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky's got a serious concern. Politically, for him, it's very difficult because anything less than driving Russians out will be politically dangerous for him. Stephen Erlanger is based in Brussels. He's the New York Times chief diplomatic correspondent. There's just nervousness, particularly in political Europe as the war goes on. He says the political hand-wringing is about more than just the fighting. How long it will go on, how much it will end up costing, where it will end up, what happens to prices, um, what happens to food prices. And what happens to their leadership. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.